Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. As well, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Second First Peter, chapter two. First Peter chapter 2, we'll start in verse 4, where we left off last week. I don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. That's a statement very common in 21st century America, but it's actually foreign to the Bible. It's foreign to the Bible. Christian faith today has been made very individualistic and a very private matter. It's me, myself, and Jesus. Um, I can have Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I can follow him on my own terms. And that means if I want to go to church, I'll go to church. If I don't want to go to church, I won't go to church. Um, no, No matter what he says, this is me, myself, and Jesus. The trouble is nearly every book in the New Testament assumes its readers are deeply connected to a church body. If you think you can be a good Christian and not be deeply connected to a church, you'll, have, you'll be hard-pressed to apply many of the commands of the New Testament. Let me just give you a few. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Galatians 6, 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. John 13, 35, by this all, my, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. How do you do baptism if you're not involved in a church? How do you, how do you see new believers be baptized? How do you take of the Lord's Supper if you're not part of a church? How do you use your spiritual gifts if you're not part of a local church? The point is very clear, you need the local church. You, you need it. You can't live all that God has planned for you in Scripture without the local church. You you can't do it. One of the things that COVID brought about was that the majority of churches are now broadcasting their services on Facebook Live. Um, Overnight, every preacher in America became a televangelist, including myself. Um, We we do it here. Thank you, Chris, Sydney, Royce, and Amy. Y'all lead that up every week, and y'all make sure that that people who um, are shut in or who aren't here can, can watch our services on Facebook. Um, we do Facebook Live as a church for four reasons. First of all, for shut-ins. Um, they, they didn't have Facebook 10 years ago. Shut-ins didn't. 10 years from now, shut-ins will have Facebook. And so they can continue being involved in our church when they can't physically be here. It's the same concept as the tape ministry from years gone by. 
The second is for families with sick kids. If you're a mother and you have four kids and one of your kids is sick and you got to stay home, you can still be a part of our service digitally. The third is vacation. Um, I'd encourage you to find a church in the spot that you vacation and attend there when you're gone. But if you're not going to do that, at least join us digitally. You can do that. And then fourthly, for outreach. Outreach. It's just the fact that whether you like it or not, to be effective reaching people outside of your church in 2021, you need an internet presence. The same reason that churches put stuff in the, in the yellow pages 30 years ago, we have an online presence now. Unfortunately for some, going to church on Facebook has become the norm. It's become the norm. I'm not aware of anybody in our church that does that, but, but in a lot of churches, a lot of pastors are telling me a lot of their people have not come back, they're staying at home, they're watching church on the internet because it's so easy. It's so easy to stay in your PJs and eat your honey buns and sit on your couch and watch a worship service. But it's so detrimental to your soul. It's so detrimental. God doesn't want you to watch a worship service. He wants you to belong to a congregation where you contribute your time, talent, and resources, where you pour into other people and they pour into you. You will miss that completely just watching online. But it's more than simply being told you're supposed to be involved in church. Why is that the case? Why? What does God have in mind for the local church? We see that in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 today. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember, we're looking at First Peter, we're calling it American exile. How do you live in a culture that is not your home? How do Christians live in a world that is not their home? Remember, they're elect exiles, is what Peter calls them in the first verse of the book. They're rejected by the world, they're chosen by God. That's more and more the world we live in as Christians in the United States. And Peter brings that idea back up here, elect exiles, chosen by God. He brings it back up. But he applies it to Jesus in these first few verses. He applies it to Jesus. Jesus was rejected by men, but he was chosen and precious in the sight of God. He was rejected by the world, chosen by God. In the rejection that the world has for the church, for you, for me, Jesus has been there. He's been there. He's experienced that. Peter calls him a living stone, verse 4. He's a living stone. He's rejected by men. He's precious in the sight of God, he's a living stone. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is a living stone, he says, and then he calls us living stones as you work down the passage. What are stones for in the days of Peter? What are they for? Building houses, building things, 
They use stones for that. He calls Jesus the cornerstone. You see, in verse, um, verse 6, he quotes a passage from the Old Testament, and he calls Jesus a cornerstone. He applies that to Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the house that's being built. We're the stones built on top of that house to make it into a living house, he calls it, a living house. What's a living house? Well, it's simply you look at the house, and something's going on inside of it. There's life inside that house. So in the great Christmas classic, Home Alone, Christmas in July, Harry and Marv want to break into Kevin's house. And so they set a moment when they're going to break into Kevin's house, and he finds out about it. So what's he do? He turns all the lights on in his house. He sets up a bunch of mannequins and a bunch of cardboard cutouts to move around. He turns on Jingle Bell Rock, and he gets this making to look like a party. Harry and Marv want to break into the house, but they can't. Why? Because they look at the house, and there's life in there. They can't go in there. There's something going on in that house. There's life in that house, and that's meant to be what the church is. There's life in that house. There's something going on in there. There's, it's not a dark, gloomy, you know, dead place. There's life in there. He calls it a spiritual house, verse 5, a spiritual house. The church is a living house. There's life there. You drive by in somebody's home. Somebody is home. I should probably define a couple terms for you just so you're aware of what I'm talking about. Um, you have the universal church and you have the local church. The universal church and the local church. The universal church is all Christians in the world. Every Christian on the planet is a part of the universal church. It's the church over the entire planet. A lot of people justify not being involved in a local church by saying, I'm part of the universal church. Again, you can't fulfill all those commands that I named earlier with Christians on the other side of the world. You can't bear the Christians on the other side of the world's burdens. You can't, um, you can't sing to them. You can't sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with Christians in Iraq. It has to be done in a local body of believers. So the universal church, all Christians in the world, a local church is a body of believers that meet in a specific location. They have pastors and deacons. They gather for worship. They do baptism in the Lord's Supper. They have a process by which you can become a member of that body. This is Mount Zion. This is First Baptist Chula. This is Northside. This is Brookfield Baptist, Salem Baptist. All the churches in Tiff County, they are local churches. Local churches. The church, that is the people, not a building. The church is what the temple was in the Old Testament. In the, temp in the Old Testament, Solomon built a temple God came down and lived in that temple, and, and people would go and meet with God in that temple on earth. It's where God dwelt on earth. This building we meet in is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Christians have replaced the temple. When you are saved, God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. You're now a, you're now a temple. This building is not a temple of God. It's not a temple of God. We call this God's house but God does not dwell in this room when none of us are here. That's not how it works. He dwells in us. He dwells in us. You know, I come into this building during the week. There's no cloud of glory floating back here when I'm here editing the announcement slides in the sound room. There's not. Israel's temple is no more. We call this God's house. We are God's house. Our bodies are God's house. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. A local church is you get a bunch of temples together, a bunch of spirit-filled people together, and something happens. Something happens. He calls it a spiritual house because you can't see it. You can't physically see it, but it's there. 
He calls them a holy priesthood, verse 5. A holy priesthood. We'll get to that in a minute when we get down to verse 9. He, he says that we come to offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. You remember what they would offer in the temple? They would offer physical sacrifices. Like they would bring in an animal and cut that thing to pieces and you know, throw its blood all over the altar and sacrifice it, right? That's a physical sacrifice. We offer spiritual sacrifices. We, we offer spiritual ones. You can't see them physically. It's connected with that priesthood language that, that's there. Um, the priests in the Old Testament would do those sacrifices. In the New Testament, we don't bring bulls and goats. We bring something else. What are some things we might sacrifice? Think to yourself. Time might be one. We sacrifice our time. A lot of times people will say, Jesus should be your number one priority. And that's technically true. Um, but let's think of that a different way. Jesus should be the center of your life. He should be the center of your life. You put something at the center of your life. All of us do. And everything else in your life orbits around what's in the center. Whatever you put in the center will determine how you do everything else. So if you put your family at the center, then your family gets to tell Jesus what to do. Your family gets to tell work what to do. If you put your work at the center, your work gets to tell your family what to do and gets to tell Jesus what to do. You put Jesus at the center of your life, and he is in charge of your family and your work and your recreation and all of that. <clears throat> you put Jesus at the center of your life, kind of like when they, when they used to think the earth was the center of the universe, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, but we know now the sun's at the center. We know that if the earth was at the center, we wouldn't be able to live on it because the sun is in just the right place in the universe that we all get the right amount of warmth that we need. If that was switched, we'd die. You will not survive without Jesus at the center of your life and everything else orbiting around it, the same that we wouldn't survive if the sun wasn't at the center of the universe. We put Jesus on that priority list, and we say he's number one. The problem is when we do that, it compartmentalizes Jesus. And Jesus isn't a part of our family and our work and our recreation. Um, he's just the top priority. We put him at the center, and he affects everything else. We make our quiet time a rock-solid commitment. We sacrifice our time. We schedule our life around church instead of the other way around. We sacrifice our time. We consider how we might use our week to make disciples. We sacrifice our time. So right now my schedule um, involves that on Monday morning I meet with people for discipleship. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I love to do the most. I meet and we do one-on-one, two-on-two discipleship. Um, any preacher will tell you Monday morning is the worst time of the week. They call it the Monday morning hangover for a preacher because all of Sunday is weighing on you and you come into Monday morning. But that's when it works for the people I'm meeting with for discipleship. So I'm committed to that. So I sacrifice my time. Our time does not belong to us. Every minute we have is God's, so we give it back to him in worship and sacrifice. Maybe it's comfort we sacrifice. We sacrifice our desire to be comfortable, our desire to be comfortable. God often calls us to do things that are not comfortable at all. We sacrifice and obey him. That's what we... That's what will give us the most spiritual blessing to do that. It might be you need to join our choir when it starts back in a few weeks. Pending, you know, COVID doesn't blow up on the scene. Choir starting back in a few weeks. Maybe you need to join it, even though you're terrified of standing in front of people. Um, as someone who stands in front of people every week, I can tell you, you get used to it. The first time I ever spoke in front of somebody in a sermon format was at a bonfire for my church's youth. I wrote out everything I was going to say and stood there like this and read it. Thankfully, I don't do that today. 
because I've learned to stand in front of people. You'll learn. You'll learn. Sacrifice. It might be that you need to commit to start serving in our nursery or with kingdom kids. Um, and you might think you don't have to do it because you don't have kids and your kids are grown up. But do you know one of the best ways you can serve mothers of our church? Watch their kids in nursery every now and then so they can sit in here and not to be distracted and just listen to God's word. It might be that you need to, uh, that, that there's a need in our church that isn't being met and nobody's stepping up for it, so you need to step up for it. It might be that, um, that, that you have an unchristian neighbor and you know it, and nobody's sharing the gospel with them, and you need, to, you need to sacrifice your comfort and go do that. Guess what? God has them next to your door for a reason. You have to sacrifice your comfort and go. There's no room in obedience to the Bible for us to say, I'm not comfortable with that. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Crosses are not comfortable. Maybe it's your desires you need to sacrifice. Sometimes we have to sacrifice good things that we want to, to do to be a part of great things. You know, I wanted to be an actor when I was in college. I wanted to be a, a, a movie actor. Um, I acted in several low-budget movies. Um, if anybody knows those people producing movies in Tipton, just let them know I've got talent people. Um, <laughs> but, God, but God called me at a certain point to forsake that because he was calling me into ministry. He's calling me into ministry. doesn't mean I can't play a role in a play someday or something like that, but, but I found something so much better in preaching than I ever would have found in acting. Don't you know God has better things for you planned to, for you to do what he wants you to do and not what you want to do, even though it's going to hurt to sacrifice it? Will you listen to him? Let me actually speak to what I was just talking about for a second. Are you here and at one time you felt the Lord calling you into ministry and you just, you just you know, put a pillow over it so you wouldn't hear it? Maybe a pastor, missionary, evangelist, counselor, I, I don't know. But you never step forward in that? What's holding you back? Is it, a, is it a desire that you need to sacrifice? Maybe today's the day you just need to surrender. I know you're involved in a lot of things, but if you're involved in those things and you aren't at church 43 of the 52 weeks of the year, God calls you to make some sacrifices. Learn to say no to some things. You don't have to commit to everything somebody asks you to be a part of. Youth in our church. Don't believe the lie put forth in youth culture that you have to play five sports in school that never ends and, and you never get to rest. It's, it's starving your soul to death. It's doing that. Play one or two sports and do it really well and rest for some of the year. Major League Baseball doesn't play all year. You don't need to. Maybe it's your life you need to sacrifice, something in your life. All of these are simply outworkings of your life. You must live a spiritually sacrificed life to Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm nailed to Christ. I'm, he, he lives through me. My life is not mine anymore. I belong to Christ. So I sacrifice anything and everything to him because he's who my life is about. That's the point. There's two types of people in this passage that we're reading, two types. There's those who are citizens of the world's kingdom and those who are citizens of God's kingdom. Ones who are citizens of the nation of this world and ones who are citizens of God's nation. The first one, the world's citizens. You're a citizen of one of these two. First, you're a citizen of this world if you reject him, if you reject Jesus. He was rejected by men, it says. These people are in the world's kingdoms. These people belong to the nation of this world. 
Have you rejected him? Know that you can come to church every Sunday yet reject him. You can do that. If your life is not surrendered to him, you're rejecting him. You're either 100% Christ or you're not his. Are you a citizen of God's nation or are you an illegal immigrant of God's nation? That is, you're in the church, but you don't belong to the family. You're just here using God's stuff. There's a major problem in the United States of what's, what's been called unregenerate church membership. Unregenerate church membership. That is, people who are members of a church, but they're not regenerate. They're not born again. People who are members of the church, but not saved. You can't be a member of a church if you're not saved. You can't be a member of Christ's body if you're not part of Christ. I talk to a lot of people, and, and their Christian testimony is, I walked an aisle and joined the church one day. And I'm like, that's it? That's it? And then I'll ask them, well, tell me what God did to forgive your sins. And they'll say, I don't know how to answer that question. What? To become a Christian, you, you have to believe that God, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. If you can't answer that question, are you a Christian just because you joined a church? If someone wants to join our church, come on. I want to talk with you first, though, and make sure you know that you're saved so that we don't bring a bunch of people in that don't know Jesus. I talk to every person who joins our church before they join to ask them, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you came to know Jesus. Tell me the gospel. I want to make sure they're saved. The fact is, you can reject Christ and be a churchgoer by not being his. If you hold back areas of your life from him, you're rejecting him. Those who reject Christ are not just people who hate Christians and support abortion. They could be some of you, some of you who, get, who don't fully give your life to Christ. How do you know if that's you? Look at the metaphor. Look at the metaphor. Christ is either your cornerstone or your stumbling block. He's one of those two things. He will either be the cornerstone that you build your life on or he'll be the stumbling block that you trip over. He'll be one of those two things. He's either the foundation of your life or not. So the question is, do you build your life on him? Is he the foundation you build the house on, or is he a wall decoration inside the house that you've built on something else? Is every part of your life his, or do you go an entire week without even thinking about Jesus? Are there areas of your life not built on Jesus? Are there areas that you haven't surrendered to Jesus? I urge you, surrender. Be his completely. If you won't have Jesus fully, you won't have him at all. If he is not your cornerstone, he will be your stumbling block. He will be the rock you trip over and break your face on. That's what he'll be. Notice verse 8 there. You might, you might be kind of blown away by that. What? They stumble... Because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Wait, what? God destined us to disobey? No. The, the, the destined there refers back to the stumbling, not to the disobedience. It refers to the stumbling. If you will not build your life on Jesus, your destiny is secure. You will stumble and break your face over. It's your destiny if you will not surrender to Jesus. This will happen to you. It's guaranteed. You think you'll be able to escape it, but you won't. You're playing with a snake's nest and expecting not to get bit. You're going to get bit. This is the ultimate fate of those who are citizens of this world. Are you a citizen there? Or are you part of the second group, verses 9 and 10? 9 and 10 are, are 
usually people's favorite verses in all of 1 Peter 9 and 10. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There are those who reject Christ, and there, there are those who have built their life on him as their cornerstone. He is the precious source of all life and joy for them. Peter describes these people with five thoughts. First, they are a chosen race. Notice how much these terms reflect Old Testament Israel. This was the point of Israel. Israel was meant to be the catalyst that brought about the church of the New Testament. Bring about the Messiah that would save sinners from every part of the world and build this big messianic family on earth of all nations. That was the point. So that it's no longer about being born into a particular bloodline. Galatians actually says that if you believe the gospel, you're a descendant of Abraham. Thus, you're part of true Israel. It's not about being born of Abraham's bloodline. It's about being born of Abraham's faith. That's what it's about. The church is a chosen race. We're a chosen race. It's not any one particular ethnicity. It's people of all ethnicities on the planet who have built their life on the cornerstone of Jesus through faith. This means that you have more in common with a Christian in the Middle East than you do with an atheist in America. You do. You have more in common with, with a Christian in the Middle East than your atheist next door neighbor. You do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You have more brotherhood with a Japanese Christian than with a South Georgian that doesn't know Jesus because we're part of one new chosen race, a spiritual ethnicity. Secondly, they are a royal priesthood, a priesthood. Revelation 5, 9 and 10, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, speaking of Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Every Christian is a priest. That's what that says. Do you see yourself as a priest? As a priest, like, like in the Old Testament, not, not like in Catholicism. Uh, a priest in the Old Testament. That's what you are if you're a Christian. What does it mean that you're a priest? Several things, I think. You can approach God on your own. You can approach God on your own. You don't have to go to a priest in a confessional box to meet with God. You don't need a priest here on earth. You have a priest before the throne of God above. His name is Jesus. So you're able to pray to God anytime, anytime. Think about this reality. You are able to approach the holy God anytime and anywhere because through Christ you're a priest. Hebrews 4 actually says you can do that with boldness. That is, you don't have to edge up. I hope God's okay with me today. Uh, knock, knock, knock. No, Hebrews 4 says you can walk right in and, and ask him things. Like that's how much confidence we have because of the blood of Jesus. Secondly, you can serve others spiritually. You don't have to bring people to me for them to get saved. You're able to lead them to Christ yourself. You have all you need in the Bible to help other people through their struggles. You don't have to bring people to me to pray for them. I'll pray for them, absolutely. But you can pray with them as, with as much authority as I can. I don't have a special, like, back-of-the-room back phone to God that you don't have. We're both priests. We're both priests. Often in churches, um, well, other pastors tell me this. I've never had this happen here, but uh, other pastors have told me that sometimes people come up to them and they'll say, we should do so-and-so ministry in this church with the expectation that the pastors start that, not them. That, 
but you're a priest too. Maybe you should do that. You're apparently passionate about it, and the pastor has enough on his plate already. How about you start that? You start that and get the church together and start that. Um, we, we served with Peanut Butter and Jesus yesterday. Tony McBrayer is over Peanut Butter and Jesus. Tony McBrayer is not the pastor of his church. He's just a guy in his church who wanted to reach kids in South Tifton, so he started that. He did that because he's a priest just like his pastor. Thirdly, you're an active participant in worship. You aren't a passive observer of this gathering. You're not sitting out there watching me and Caleb put on a show. That's not how this works. There's a lot better shows you can go to in town than what me and Caleb do up here. I promise. When we gather here, one way to practice this is sing. Sing. You sing for the encouragement of each other. Sometimes when we're singing a song, I did it today with Rock of Ages. When I'm singing a song that I know everybody in the church knows really well, sometimes I'll stop singing just a couple lines and I'll just listen to your voices sing behind me the choir of voices behind me. We'll have a choir starting back in a few weeks, but if you're out there in the pew, you're part of the choir at this church. We, we, we sing to each other is what scripture says. We don't watch people sing, we sing to each other. You're an active participant in the worship gathering. Thirdly, they are a holy nation. They're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church is a nation, God's nation on the earth. Our church is meant to be something like an embassy of heaven on earth. What's an embassy? If we have a U.S. embassy in another country, what is that? Well, it's a headquarters of the U.S. government on foreign soil. That's what it is. Um, if a, uh, let's, let's pretend there's a U.S. embassy in Japan. I don't know if there is or not, but, but let's say there's a U.S. embassy in Japan. At that embassy, a Japanese person cannot enter the American embassy without permission even for an emergency. If the Japanese army were to attack the American embassy, it would be seen as an attack against the United States, even though it's on Japanese soil. Often the embassies will be decorated like an American place, so it will have American architecture. They'll serve cheeseburgers there. Like, it'll be, all, it'll be like an, a piece of American culture planted in another country. Mount Zion Baptist Church and every church around is a piece of heaven's culture planted on the earth. It's a piece of heaven's culture planted on the earth. We are a holy nation. This nation far surpasses our American nation. You're not at home in America. I know you think you are. This is not our home. You are at home in the church of Jesus Christ. You're a citizen of God's nation, not man's nation. Fourthly, they are a people for his own possession. Remember Revelation 5. What did Jesus do? He bought us. He ransomed us. He took us. Jesus ransomed you if you're saved. You were a prisoner to the kingdom of Satan. You were born in sin. You were not a good person. You were an enemy of God. You were a captive of this world. Jesus came and paid for you with his blood and ransomed you. You ever seen a cop TV show, something like CSI? Um, there's always some really dramatic scene in those shows where, you know, a criminal kidnaps the president's son and holds him for ransom. You know, he says, pay me a billion dollars in the next 24 hours or I'm shooting this kid in the head. And so the characters have to come up with a way to bust in there and get the kid without paying the money. Understand what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Our sin had us captive holding us for ransom. The ransom price was his spotless blood. Anything less would not do. Jesus came and died and paid our ransom with his spotless blood. He paid the ransom. He purchased us for his own possession. 
He purchased us. Not only that, he defeated the enemy that was holding us captive. He took sin and the devil and, and put them in the grave and left them there. He secured their fate with his death and resurrection so that now, though sin and death are still in the world, their destiny is secure. They're going to stumble and break their face. Jesus is their stumbling block. Jesus purchased you for his own possession. That means at the cross, Jesus declared that he wanted you. He wanted you. You may think nobody in this world wants you. Jesus cried at Calvary, he wants you. He doesn't need you. He existed forever before right now, never needing you. He didn't save you out of obligation. He died for you because he wants you, because he loves you, because he wanted to have you as his own possession. And finally, they are proclaimers. They're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and they are proclaimers. You are all of these four things that you might be a proclaimer, a proclaimer of the excellencies of Jesus. The, you see, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's Jesus. He called you out of there. Now we proclaim his excellencies. But we tend to do the opposite, don't we? Or at least I do. We complain. We grumble. We complain about the silliest inconveniences. We complain about things that have nothing to do with us. We complain that we want it cold when it's hot, and we want it hot when it's cold. It's the sin I struggle with the most, just, just having a negative demeanor. I internally wrestle with that sin about every day of my life, complaining, murmuring, being glass half empty, just grumbling. But why? Why? Have you heard about the excellencies of Jesus? Aaron Frazier, open your eyes to the beauty of Jesus. Have you heard about his goodness, how good he is, how there's no wrong in him whatsoever? Have you heard about his grace and his mercy that though you did not deserve it, he gave you all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? Have you heard about his love? Just look at the cross and see his blood spilled for you. Have you heard about his faithfulness? The sun continues to rise and set every single day and never misses a beat because he's faithful. Have you heard about his power? Right now, he's keeping stars in the universe burning at his own word, never stopping doing that. Have you heard about how personal he is? Like when he came to earth, he didn't send an angel to come see you. He didn't, you know, just drop a, a roll of scrolls out of the sky for you to read and hopefully figure out who he is. He became one of us. He was born the same way we're born. He had to be weaned off his mother's milk just like all of us are. He had to learn to use the bathroom just like all of us do. He grew up and experienced acne and puberty and all that stuff just like we do. And he lived an adult life like us and died the death that we're all going to die. He is that personal. Have you heard about the fact that he knows everything? He knows everything. He knows every detail of your life better than you do. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He, he knows um, every thought that's ever crossed through your mind. Beyond that, he knows every fork you've ever come to in your life. He knows how your life would have turned out if you had taken left or right every single time. Have you heard about how wonderful he is? As opposition to the Christian faith rises, the temptation will be to not proclaim. Not proclaim. If you're going to be hated for it, made fun of for it, ostracized for it, we might just keep our mouth shut. That's going to be the temptation. But when you've seen his excellencies, you can't help but proclaim it. 
You can't help but shout about how wonderful he is. You can't help but talk about him everywhere you go. This is the point of church. We don't exist just for you to have all your preferences. I hate to break this to you. Church is not about you. We don't exist just to have some, something to do on the weekends, the, though we want you here. There's a lot of other things we can do on the weekends. We exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. We exist to make disciples. That's our calling from Jesus. We must be about that in every way. That's why we're, why are we so concerned about pointless stuff in church and so little concerned about proclaiming his excellencies to the lost? We were saved for this. The church exists for this. We must be about this. Proclaiming is what our world needs. They need us to proclaim Jesus to them, not just from me here on the stage, from all of us in our lives. You need to be majorly involved in the church. This isn't just a ritual we do every week. This isn't just something we fit into our schedule when we have a Sunday off. Church isn't something you, you do every now and then just to keep God happy. You need this. You need to gather. You've been called to this. It's your very identity. If you're saved, more than just the Fraser bloodline, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. More than as an American citizen, I'm a citizen of the holy nation that is the church. In a world that is increasingly less Christian, you need more of the church, not less. You belong to this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this people for God's own possession. And then we go from here, and we proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us. We proclaim that we were once not God's people, as verse 10 says, but now we are God's people. We had once not received mercy, but we have received mercy. That calls on the language of the book of Hosea. You remember there's a, um, there's a harlot. Um, Hosea is told to go marry her, take her as his own, even though she's going to keep running away, just keep winning her back. That's what that's calling back to. That's a direct quote from, from Hosea. That, that's what we're called to. We once had not received mercy, now we have. We belong to him. Now we go out and proclaim that. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and other people can be too. And you can be too. Has something I've said today pierced your heart like a sword? Think to yourself right now. Do you come to the living stone to have life? By faith, have you built your life on him? Have you not? This may be when the Holy Spirit wants to draw you to him. Have you never been baptized and you need to follow through with, with the first command Jesus gave you? Let's talk about that. Have you never joined our church? Maybe today's the day to start that. Did the Lord call you to ministry years ago and you've rejected that? Surrender. Are you actively living in sin? Repent. Is there something else the Holy Spirit would call you to respond to today? We're going to have a response time in just a second. I implore you, respond to Jesus as the Holy Spirit is moving you. Respond to him. Let's pray. Lord, what, what incredible love you have. You took your enemies, and you made us your chosen people. Like, what, what on earth do, does, does that even, like, how on earth, let that blow our minds, Lord. How did we ever deserve such a thing? We didn't. But how in the world would you ever want such people as us? And you do. You do. 
Well, you didn't just do something to make the relationship right so there's no animosity. You made us your beloved, your chosen people. Lord, may we just be overwhelmed by such a thought. I have nothing else to pray today, Lord. May we be overwhelmed by that, and may that move us to respond to Jesus. It's in his name we pray.